Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moiselle, and these are the women who rule. And welcome back to She Dynasty. I am so, so excited to welcome Bianca Gates, the CEO and co-founder of Birdies, a footwear company in its own category. Birdies was founded in 2015 by two moms and entrepreneurs and born out of the need for stylish, comfortable in-home footwear. Since then, business has exploded and they've expanded to flats, slides, sneakers, and sandals. They were also Meghan Markle's go-to shoes. So I'm also very excited for this week's episode because I'm co-hosting with Chelsea Kauth. Chelsea is uh, the executive creative director at The Woo, and she is a big, big fan of Birdies. And in fact, um, the reason that we reached out to Birdies was, you know, we sat down and um, when Chelsea first started working at Woo, I asked her about brands that she loved and admired, and Birdies was um, at the top, top of her list. So I thought... Let me let me learn more about this, and then obviously uh, we reached out, and today we have Bianca with us. So um, also Chelsea um, wore birdies at um, as a part of her wedding as something blue. So she's going to tell us a little bit about that. So I'd like to welcome both Chelsea and Bianca to to the show today. Valerie, thank you so much for having me. And um, Chelsea, I mean, what a pleasure to meet you in person. I loved hearing that story of uh, incorporating birdies into the biggest day of your life. Um, have, have you guys ever turned the tables on this and had me interview, you know, Chelsea? Like, I'd like to hear more about what, how, like Chelsea's perspective of birdies and maybe do like some customer testimonials here, but <laughs> leave that for later. But that's so great. So great. I love that. Chelsea, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you found birdies. I'd love to hear the story, actually. Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, I feel like I need to thank you, Bianca, because you make my feet so happy all the time. <laughs> I love that. Um, I actually first found out about birdies through good old Instagram. I got to say, I'm one of those people that really loves a good, uh, targeted post (laughs) and, you know, I'm in the middle of my wedding swirl. Right. And somehow the internet seems to know exactly what stage I'm at in the wedding planning process. And I was at the part where you start to think about all the day of accessories and all the little things that just make it all come together. And lo and behold, I was served up an ad for the um, swan shoes, the slides and like the icy blue with the beautiful rhinestones. And I saw them and I fell in love with them so quickly. Um, And I just had to buy them. And the second I put them on, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be so comfortable. I'm so excited about this. I'm a huge wuss when it comes to like heels and like anything that like is going to cause any amount of foot pain, (laughs) which, which is why I basically live in flip-flops. Um, and the fact that you make shoes that are so cute and so comfortable has like literally saved my life. So I love love that. I mean, I, I love hearing those stories and, you know, I think for me, like not only were heels uncomfortable, but yet, you know, we would wear them fine. But I just remember my my years living in New York City and I was in media sales working at Univision and then for MTV Viacom and um, waiting for a cab took forever. So a lot of the, the men I would work with would say, let's just, you know, walk to the next meeting. And it was like, you know, 15 city blocks. 
And as they're walking, you know, fast, I'm trying to keep up and clacking in my heels. And I just, I felt silly. I felt like I couldn't keep up. I already felt like I was behind and I was pulling them back. And I could only imagine what they must've been thinking, bringing me in on these meetings, you know, trying to keep up with them only to get to the meeting and be out of breath. And it just, it's just, it feels silly. And I just wanted to be able to dress, you know, appropriately and fashionable, but to be able to keep up with my male counterparts feeling like I was powerful and strong. And it's really hard to do that in heels. Sometimes I I will say there's a time and place for heels and I love my heels. Um, but mostly when I'm sitting, um, I think when I'm trying to get stuff done, um, having a great pair of flats makes a big difference, especially in my confidence. I think that story is so relatable. I think we've all been there in that moment where you're trying to walk down the street, keep up with keeping up with some people and I've even had my heel stuck in a grate, you know, and then you're like, please stop. And you're trying to like force your heel out. And then you're bummed out because your heel's broken. I mean, the whole thing. So I'm glad that, you know, the rest of the world has sort of shifted with this idea that, you know, flats can be equally as sexy and beautiful and fashionable. And now we can, you know, haul ass to the next meeting with our male counterparts um, and not have to compromise style uh, for function. 100%. So Bianca, I just, uh, I just did a quick kind of recap on birdies, but I want to hear from you personally, tell us the mission of birdies, what you've set out to do and why. Yeah. I mean, we started birdies in 2015 with my amazing co-founder, Marissa Sharkey. Um, actually both of our boyfriends, well, husbands now, uh, they met during business school and they realized that their girlfriends at the time were living in New York city and we became fast friends. And in 2015, we were having a conversation around just how annoying it still was that it was 2015 and we were still entertaining and hosting friends and family in socks or barefoot. Um, And I think, you know, for us, like wearing high heels around our house just felt too formal for an occasion where we really wanted our friends to lean back and have, you know, a great conversation, a great meal and be relaxed. And typically they look at the host. What is she wearing? How is she behaving? And in heels, it just seemed too formal. And you know, walking around in in pajama slippers felt a little bit uh, too relaxed. I would not be entertaining in pajamas. And so why was I wearing pajama slippers with my outfit? And so the idea had been on my mind for many years. I was hoping that somebody else would solve it. I had no intention of becoming a footwear entrepreneur ever. This was not my calling. This, I was not moonlighting as like a shoe designer on the side. I just wanted somebody to solve this problem. And in 2015, my husband just said, you, you've been talking about this problem, the social slipper problem for a while. Why don't you just solve it? And I thought, well, that's silly. You know, why would I solve it? I, you know, I work at Facebook. I'm in, I'm in tech, you know, like I, I'm not a foot, foot uh, entrepreneur, footwear entrepreneur, but you know, once you planted that seed, I remember that night I put my kids to bed, I poured myself a glass of wine and I started to like, you know, research shoes and slippers and the differences and, and started to like figure out, you know, where this opportunity was. And it really was in the entertaining space of the home. So slippers were synonymous with bedroom, bathroom shoes for, you know, leaving the house, but there was nothing for that, you know, entertaining space. And then I had this like Mr. Rogers moment where, you know, he like walks in the front door and he sits down on his bench and he takes off his outdoor loafers and he puts on his indoor loafers. And I'm like, that's it. I want something just as attractive that I was wearing outside of the house, but for inside of the house and obviously more comfortable. So it was pretty um, obvious to me, the solution for the shoe. And I texted my co-founder, Marissa, and I said, I have an idea for us. I'll call you in the morning. She's a skeptic. I'm an optimist. So I knew I'd have to sell her in on this idea. And she's also extremely impatient. She just texted back and she said, what's the idea? And I said, you know, stylish slippers for entertaining. And she said, oh my God, I'm in. And so the very next day we, we, we decided to, you know, join forces and figure it out. And 
we actually launched our product um, eight or nine months later. So real quick turnaround. But I think it goes to show we knew exactly the problem that we were trying to solve. And we had the exact same vision for the product. And, you know, the rest is history. I love the way you've called it a social slipper problem. I think that is so brilliant and something that is so relatable to so many people. Because you're right, you know, trying to entertain in heels is no fun. And we all want to be stylish when and it's people look at People look at the host, you know, is she stressed out? Is she relaxed? Is she having fun? Is she, is she not? And same with what we're wearing, you know, is she, is she having like fun, colorful pops of color in her outfit? Is she looking forward to seeing us? What is she wearing on her feet? And so those are just cues of how the night's going to go. And so we wanted to give her that special cue that, you know, surprise and delight when she opens the door and her friends come in and they're like, wow, you know, birdie, she's, you know, she is ready to party tonight and look at, look at her shoes, look at her outfit. So that's what we wanted is to make our friends and family more comfortable. And you asked me about the mission. I mean, the mission started at the same, very same day as we founded birdies. Um, the mission was to create more connection and conversation with our community. That was sort of, you know, the idea of these social slippers at home. And Marissa and I have also benefited in our career from a lot of people who have cheered us on, supported us, encouraged us, stretched us. And so we thought if if we are able to build a company with a platform that's large enough to reach a substantial amount of women, we want to make sure that we have the same philosophy that we're that we're paying it forward to all of these great women through the work that we're doing. And also just, um, you know, continuing to remind women that yes, we can, um, but we, it's, it's better to do it together. And so there's this amazing African proverb that I say all the time to my team internally, which is um, alone, you can go fast together. We can go far. And so it's like so much more fun to go far together. And so I use that a lot. And so that, that is still to this day, you know, at core of what we were doing at Birdies. You know, so much of what we're going to talk about today is kind of your journey of how you got here. I love that you mentioned that this was never in your plan and you didn't set out to be a shoe designer in any way or entrepreneur in any way, shape or form. So, you know, figuring out how you got here, this like unexpected kind of twist or shift, I should say, is, you know, kind of everything that She Dynasty is about. So you've talked a little bit about your spark, but I want to go back to kind of the very beginning because I think it's important to understand how you got to this point. When we did the pre-interview, you mentioned that you were also uh, like me. You came from parents who were both immigrants. And so, you know, I want to understand a little bit about what their expectations were from you culturally as a woman, what women in business look like from where they come from and how that kind of shaped you as a child. Yeah. I grew up in Southern California. My dad is from Buenos Aires, Argentina. My mom is from Santa Cruz, Bolivia. They met in Latin America, um, got married, and then they moved here in their 20s. And my mom didn't speak any English. She worked at the, the cafeteria at my, my dad's university, University of Arkansas, making sandwiches because she couldn't communicate with people. So, you know, relatively humble beginnings, but also very ambitious from the very beginning. And I was born in, actually in Arkansas, even though I was raised in Southern California. Very, very loving family life, a lot of Latin culture immersed within, you know, US American society. So at times, the values and the philosophies that I was being taught were, were at odds with my Hispanic culture and the American culture. One in particular, you know, is yeah, as a young girl, like dream big and, you know, you go for it and go after your dreams, you know, all those great, great things. But then when it came down time for me to go to college, all of my friends were going away, which is like the natural thing to do in the United States. But in Latin America, you live at home until you're married. 
And so while I was ready to spread my wings and all those values that my parents had taught me, you know, to go for it and you can be anything you want in life. I felt like my wings were really being clipped and I was sort of stuck at home during college. So that was like the first time where I just felt like things were at odds and I'd have to kind of pick a lane myself of like how I wanted my life to unfold. I was always a very good child, uh, followed the rules until I think I finally just was tired of following the rules and just wanted to set out from, you know, my own path for myself. And after graduating University of California, Irvine, I, I got a, a job and as a pharmaceutical salesperson and I was making my own money and still my parents would not let me move out. And so I, you know, until I was married. And so I think for me, I just thought I have to take control of this and, you know, I'm desperate to have an adventure in my life and live to my full potential, which was beyond, you know, where in my neighborhood. And so I, I ended up eloping with somebody who I had briefly met, um, who lived across the country And it was a really weird, challenging, sad, exciting time of my life. Ultimately ended up really disappointing my parents, which was also frustrating for me because all I wanted to do was make them happy. But at the same time, I was spreading my wings and my dream was always to live, to move to New York City. And I I just, you know, I I felt like that's where all of the business people lived and I wanted to be a businesswoman. And so um, my then husband and I at the time made our way to New York City. And that's when I got my first big job there working at Univision in media sales. Um, and that feeling of earning a big paycheck and living in the big city with the energy all around me was just, it was it exceeded my expectations. It was more than, than I knew I would love. And I just loved every moment of it. Unfortunately, the marriage did not last as you might ex- expect um, with such a short-lived engagement and not having known each other for that long. Um, but a wonderful person and found myself divorced at 25. And I think for me, that gave me the freedom that, you know, I was sort of the black sheep of the family. And, and that alone gave me the freedom to say, well, I'm not, I'm not following anybody else's rules anymore. Since I'm the black sheep, I'm not going to create my own rules. And um, that has been an exciting journey for me ever since. Kind of gave you permission to kind of start following your own rules from that moment on. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I, um, there, th- nobody had expectations for me anymore because I, I, in some ways had just disappointed everybody around me. And so, you know, I think they shifted gears onto my siblings and, you know, wanted to make sure that the same thing didn't happen with them. And, you know, funny enough, both of my younger sisters ended up going to UCLA. My parents were like, okay, great. You know, you can go a little bit further and live on campus and join a sorority. And then my brother, who's 10 years younger, ended up going all the way to Cal in Northern California. Um, so I, you know, I keep telling them that they need to be thankful for, you know, what I, what I did. Um, you paved the way for them, paved the way, but, but we're all, we're all very close. Um, and my parents all did this with the best of intentions and the greatest of hearts. I think that's what sort of set me out on this journey of just spreading my wings and living my life very curiously and never taking no for an answer. I love that. You know, you, you touched on something that I can relate to a lot, which is, you know, kind of two cultures kind of colliding and you're getting kind of mixed mess messages, right? You come to America to, to live the American dream. And I'm sure your parents came here for, you know, that was part of the reason for being here. But I'm just curious, culturally from, from where your parents are from, um, you know, what is the kind of ambition and drive or expectation for women in, in the workforce and, or, you know, in, as entrepreneurs? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, my, my dad grew up in Argentina where the government is, is, it's just, it's volatile there. It's um, the currency shifts. um, Inflation is, is crazy. There's no consistency. 
And so I think for, for him, like what he wanted for his girls was just, you know, a, a nice, consistent life that you can depend on people and things and a society. And so for him, when we were talking about my career, it was contribute to your 401k. What does the health benefit package look like? Like just the basics where he just wanted to make sure like that was it. Like for him, that was like the the greatest goal in life. The other thing he would always say is it doesn't matter what college you go to just graduate. And I think now I look looking back, I don't think that was necessarily the best advice, but for him having a college degree from in America was like, that was like the ultimate document that would open up so many doors, regardless of what college it was. And so they had sort of paved the way of graduating college and getting a good job. And for them, that was the ultimate goal. But for me, that was just the beginning. For me, that was like the foundation of where I wanted to go and where I wanted to be. And so you can imagine that after I was at Facebook, which for them was like, just like the the best thing ever, because all of our family in Latin America uses Facebook. And so we were able to connect and communicate for free, um, share, you know, pictures and bridal showers and baby showers. So now I'm working at this like incredible company. I have this amazing job. My family all over the world knows where I'm working at. Um, And so you can imagine the conversation when I called my parents in 2017 to say, I think I'm going to leave this job and start selling slippers on the internet. You know, like that, that was just ludicrous. You know, that was not a good idea. They were, you know, freaking out. Why am I giving up something so amazing for the unknown? And I reminded them, like, you guys did the same thing. You guys left, you know, your homes and your family and your culture and your language for the unknown. And it really worked out. And you need to give me the same space to do the same and try it out. So um, it's a tough conversation, but ultimately a good one to have. Yeah. And it worked out. And what did you want to be when you were a child growing up? What did you think you were going to be? Always a businesswoman. Always, always. My sisters played with dolls and, you know, getting married. And I would, I would go in the garage and pretend to drive my dad's car as if I was like, you know, on my way to work. And just the whole thing was about my whole life was centered around being a businesswoman. I really wanted to be independent. I really wanted to make my own money. Um, I saw my, my parents who had been married almost 50 years. They had, they have an amazing relationship, but I just knew early on that was not the type of relationship I wanted in my future. And I'll give you one example that I still think about this day in our kitchen, we had this long table and there's the head of the table. And my dad would always sit at the head of the table. And it turns out that like the head of the table was also his back was facing where the sun would rise in the morning. And so in the morning we'd all be blinded by the sun. And one day I asked him, I think I was eight, you know, like, why do you always get to sit there with the sun at your back? And we all have to face the challenges, the sun in our eyes. And he just said, you know, whoever makes the money gets to pick where they sit. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I see how this is. And my mom to her benefit, I mean, to her credit, she, she didn't care. She was like, you know, so grateful for everything around her. And so she, and so she thought, yeah, you know, you make the money you pick, but I thought there's, there's just no way it's it like, I, I wanted something different or at the very least I'd make the money and I would pick if that was, if that was what it came down to. So, but you know, my sisters, they grew up in the same household and they did not pick up on those, on those moments the way I did. And so you know, I think every child is different and we pick up on different things. And that's sort of like what, you know, leads us to, to live the lives that we lead later. Absolutely. I, I can relate. I also, as a child, you know, knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and a businesswoman and, you know, no one around me understood it because my family, women didn't do that. So it was a little different, but totally can uh, relate, especially the story that your dad said about whoever makes the money. That was a theme that I heard a lot in my house as well. 
So that being said, um, one of your big sparks is that you started a business at 21 years old. Tell us about that. Well, you know, when I wanted, when I said I wanted to be a businesswoman, I, I hadn't thought about entrepreneur versus working at a big company. I just knew I, I wanted to be independent and I wanted to make my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I was suffering from severe acne. It was pretty bad. It was, you know, on my face, on my chest, on my shoulders, on my back. And a lot of the topical creams weren't working. I ended up ultimately getting on Accutane. It was pretty, it was that bad. But during that journey, I would go down to South America pretty much most summers to visit family. And it was, it'd be winter down there. So I'd go to school there. And so in this particular summer, I think I was 21. Um, so I, I spent the summer living with my grandparents in Buenos Aires and I came across this topical facial cleanser. And I think within a matter of days, it was clearing up my skin, like brilliantly, like nothing I had ever tried in the United States. And I, I felt like I had just found gold and, uh, you know, there, there's always so much I could use for myself. And I, and I wanted so desperately to help other young women and men who were suffering from this, this horrible, you know, situation, acne. And so I decided I wanted to start importing this to the U S and start selling it. And of course, you know, at 20, 21, you're not really thinking through the entire supply chain and like the model and, you know, the financing and all that. And maybe the FDA should know that you're importing, you know, a topical drug into the U.S. But, you know, regardless, I was like, I got to get this in the United States. So I asked my parents for a bit of a loan um, and I bought many, many cases of this and they arrived and we put them in my dad's garage, my parents' garage. And, you know, there was like that moment where you're like, oh, crap, all everything is here. But like now what? And, you know, not to age myself, but social media didn't exist then. Um, and so how the heck was I going to sell hundreds of these topical ointments that I had I had just transported? And um, I was waiting tables at the time at Macaroni Grill in Tesla Marketplace um, in Irvine, where I lived. And I just thought, well, I'm, I'm exposed to hundreds of new people every night. This is a great place for me to start selling my stuff. And um, every night I would tell people about this topical product, this cleanser, and I would collect their business cards. And then over the weekend, I would drive to their homes and drop them off and, you know, collect the money, which, you know, seems kind of dangerous now in, in thinking about it. Um, and so I did it for a while and I was, I was selling them quite quickly. And then one night uh, this woman called me over to her table and she said, listen, I'm not interested in buying your your creams, but I am the district manager at Johnson and Johnson, um, in pharmaceutical sales. When do you graduate college? And I said, I graduated in six months. And she said, do you know what you're going to do next? And I said, I have no idea. My dad is a college professor. My mom, you know, stays at home and takes care of the family. I don't know how business works. And she said, I'm happy to give you a job. And so that was my first job after graduating college, uh, pharmaceutical sales. So um, closed down my business uh, and realized, wow, that was more complicated than than I thought it would be. But that ultimately, you know, got me my great first career job after college. Interesting. So, w- just curious. So, you're you're waiting on tables. How do you bring this up? How do you, how do you segue from what would you like to eat for dinner to? You know, it's interesting. This this thing works so well that my skin was glowing. And I'm not kidding. Like people would ask me like, your skin is so vibrant and glowing. What do you do? And I I was like, well, let me tell you, like you too can have glowing skin like this. So it, it was less awkward. Like I, it's, this thing really did work, but yeah, I would wait for people to kind of comment on it, or I would try to shift the conversation in that way, you know, to get them to, to ask about it. And so when you took that job, did you give up that kind of side hustle and kind of redirect? Oh yeah. Because, you know, I was making like, you know, 
$4 a bottle was my, you know, it was my profit margin on these things. And, you know, I think I was making this job, I don't know, it was 60, 70, $80,000 a year, whatever it was. And they gave me a car, which, you know, was amazing. Um, so then I was making, making real money. And remember my, my dream and my, my goal in life was to be independent. And so now I had a real paycheck, real health benefits, a 401k match and a car. So I was like, I am good. This is so much better than being an entrepreneur. This is guaranteed money every two weeks in my checking account. Like, this is awesome. Even the- just the symbolism of a car, like that really is a, a sign of independence. Totally. Except for the fact that it was owned by Johnson and Johnson. So they were very careful and there was a lot of insurance on, you know, me driving. And so every time I would reverse my car, it would beep, it would go beep beep, beep. And it was so nerdy. It was so embarrassing. So I was like, I don't know, we're, we're close to independence here, except for that darn beep every time I reverse. So the, but, the, but the intent was there, the fire was there. This person who brought you on saw that you had something in you that was really awesome. And yeah. uh, obviously- she's, she is amazing. I owe so much to, you know, my early days in my career to her. All right. So what came next from that point? Well, um, I was, so in pharmaceutical sales, you pretty much work from home. You don't have an office environment. The company sends you the materials that you need to sell the product. You, at the time I had to see eight doctors a day in different hospitals and educate them on our product. And so my first job out of college, you know, I really liked a lot of the components. I loved the sales piece of it. I loved the money, but what I didn't like is working from home, you know, at 22, 23, I wanted to meet people. I wanted to learn from people. And so I wanted, you know, to work in an office, but it was actually during my time at Johnson and Johnson, they, they actually flew me out from Southern California to Texas to learn about a new drug that I would be selling. And that's actually where I met my first husband. Um, he had flown, flown in, he, he had the same job in um, Florida and had flown in for this. And we met one day at this like four day conference in Texas. And he was asking me all sorts of questions. And I told him, you know, I have these big dreams and expectations for myself, but I don't know how to get there unless I'm married. And that was sort of the beginning of, you know, this relationship that like very quickly led to an engagement and then ultimately our elopement. And so once we eloped, I moved to Florida and quit my job in pharmaceutical sales, but I, I knew I, I wanted to continue working and establishing a career. And I, I, you know, I talked to my dad a lot about it and he said, well, what do you love about pharmaceutical sales? And I, you know, I said, all the things, the reasons I did and what do you not like? And he then said, well, have you thought about TV sales? And, and I said, I don't, I have no idea what that is. And he says, well, you can sell, you know, TV airtime to advertisers. And I happen to have a friend who lives in Florida that does this for the local uh, TV station there. And I can put you in contact with him. And he did. And I ended up getting hired. Um, and that's how I got my job in media sales. And I loved it. I loved working in an office. I loved the people there. I loved the product I was selling. I loved the advertisers. And so I did that for about six months. And then I knew like, this is small town here in Florida. This was at an affiliate station and I wanted to go work for the big networks. Mm -hmm. And that's when I talked to my then husband and I said, I want to move to New York. I want to work for one of the big networks. Um, Let's do this. And he knew that was a dream of mine. And so we moved to Manhattan a few months later and my manager at the local TV station in Florida, knew one person in media sales in New York. And this person worked at Univision, Spanish TV uh, network and got a meeting with, with that person. Um, and actually he ran the network 
and interviewed with a bunch of other people. The good thing I had going for me was I'm Hispanic. I speak Spanish so I could understand the programming where most of the salespeople there couldn't. The, the flip side of that though, was I was, I had very little experience and to work at a big TV network, you had to have a lot of experience. And so when they offered to hire me, it was as an assistant and it would be like $30,000 a year. Um, and I, I said, I have no, I have no interest in being an assistant. Like I know I can make your network money. I, I trust me. I know. And so I did a deal with them. I said, listen, I'm sure you don't trust me. I'm 24. What do I, what do you, you know, you don't know me, but pay me an assistant salary, pay me the $30,000 that you're prepared to, to spend and, and nothing else, but any new business I bring to the network, I get 10%. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. And so they were like, this is, who is this lady? She's crazy. Like we've never entertained anything like this. And you know, who knows what they were thinking, but maybe they were like, let's give her six months. This is going to be a big failure. And then we'll teach her that, you know, where she needs to start is at the very you know beginning and grow her up. And within the first few months, I had closed so many big accounts that they brought me into the office and they're like, listen, we we're not going to do the 10% sales commission thing, because that is a, a, a big amount. I should have pushed them on it at the time, but I said, no, no, no big deal. But have I proven to you that I, I can be an account executive at 24 at this big network? And they said, absolutely. Yes. And from there, I just continued to hustle my way in. And two years later, uh, the senior account executive that I work with, she was pregnant and had to go on maternity leave before flying out to Irvine, California to meet with Hyundai Kia to do that, to present this big world cup deal to them, this multi-million dollar four-year World Cup deal. And so the managers were nervous, like who's going to give the presentation? Who's going to, we can't do that. We're the managers, you know, God forbid we actually do the presenting. So who's going to do this? And I walked into their office and I said, I know you think I'm still young and junior and I've never sold a four-year World Cup deal, but if you trust me, I'll do it. And they were like, great. You know, you need to fly out to Irvine this weekend and you're presenting next week and you need to rehearse and here's the deck. And, um, and I did it. I just, I, I knew I had to crush it. All the senior executives from Hyundai Kia were going to be there. This is going to be the biggest deal for the network. And I don't think I slept for five or six days, just scripting out myself and everything I was going to say. And I remember walking into that meeting, it was a Monday morning. And I thought I got to get there early. Cause you got to, you know, at the time you got to like connect all the cables to the TV to present. And I didn't want to be stressed with everybody around there. And I get in there and I can barely breathe. I was so nervous, but I was also so excited. And the meeting was going to start at nine. And like at 8.55, the executive assistant comes in and says, you know, we're going to have to move you to the larger conference room because we have more attendees than we expected. And I just remember I almost passed out because I had to undo every cable, pack it all up and then move into the, the board room where everybody's already there. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I fake passing out right now. Maybe I can get out of this situation. This is the worst case scenario. I was trying to avoid this. Oh, wow. um, and anyways, I, I ultimately, I think I did a pretty good job and we ended up doing a sponsorship that year. And, and then the year after that, that manager left to go to Viacom um, and took me with him. And I was able to negotiate a very, very good package for myself. What an incredible story. I love that you were just so bold to, you know, walk into that company and tell them how you thought it should be. And I think that's a really nice kind of learning moment for those listening. Sometimes if you, if you know, you can do something and you have confidence in yourself, confidence sometimes is so much of what gets you to where you need to be. I think that's hundred percent, hundred percent confidence equals courage. You can't have the courage without the confidence. And yet, and I talk about this a lot, the five C's, you know, to get the confidence, you need the right community the right conversation and the right connections. And with those three things, if you have those three things working together, 
it fuels confidence, which ultimately fuels uh, courage to go do something bold. Um, but a lot of times I talk to women and they, they don't have the right community. They're not having the right conversation. They don't have deep connections. And so that's where I really, with the platform at Birdies, I'm really trying to encourage women to think about, well, who is my support system? Like who was my community of like eight or nine other people that I could turn to and ask them, Hey, how much do you make? You know, what are you investing in these days? Things that are, are still taboo to this day for women to talk about. And create those meaningful conversations that then accelerate our confidence and gives us the courage to, to push and to achieve, you know, everything that we want to achieve in life. Love that. I think, um, we'll definitely have to take the five C's and figure out how to bring that forward in some of our communications. So I want to jump forward to, um, you know, the inception of birdies. You talked a little bit about when, you know, the spark of the idea came in, I'm assuming, did you, you had a job when the idea came and it was kind of a side hustle or did you quit your job and start? No. Oh my gosh. No, don't forget. I like money. I like money as independence. I was never going to just quit my job and see if this worked. Like, you know, I, I, I got to make sure it's going to work. Um, and so this has been like a 15 year journey. I mean, since living in New York, you know, when you go into your apartment in Manhattan, you kick off your shoes. You want to be respectful to your neighbors who live around you, above you, beneath you, and not clock around in your apartment. It's also very dirty on the streets of New York. So you, you don't want to bring that into your apartment. But that's when I was like, well, that's funny. Well, where do I put on my feet? And I have friends coming over. What do I wear? It's cold. What do I put on my feet? Even though I don't want to put my pajamas on. So way back in the day, this was on my mind. And I would go to Nordstrom and to Bloomingdale's and to every big department store. And I would ask them, like, do you have stylish slippers? And they would always send me to the lingerie department. And I realized, no, 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 I don't want bedroom slippers. I want something stylish, but like more for the home. And so for me, that's where I started to realize, okay, there's, there's something, there's a hole in the footwear market. It might be a small hole. You know, I don't think every woman is experiencing this like stylish slipper problem as I was, but for me, it was a, it was a void. Um, and then in 2015, when my husband planted the seed about starting this company, I, I went on and I Google searched, you know, stylish slippers, fashionable slippers. And the best I could get were like, $800 mink slippers, but were still intended to go with your pajamas. Right. So then I was like, Oh wow. Even at scale on the internet, these things don't exist. And so, yeah, I just, I knew, I knew pretty early on that what the problem was, what the product was going to look like, what the solution was going to be. And it was just a matter of getting started. All right. So walk us through, you have this idea, you have, um, kind of a partner to kind of do this with, how do you go from the spark of an idea to actually making it into a reality? Tell, tell us a little bit about those steps. Well, first step, I went to Google and I typed in how to make a shoe. <laughs> and when I realized that did not give me the, the results I needed, I was like, all right, well, step two, talk to everybody in my network and see if anybody knows how to help me. And one of my really good friends, Amanda Thomas, now Amanda Davison, she um, was making apparel at the time. And she said, you know, I don't know much about footwear, but I do know that there's this big trade show that happens once a year called magic in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in like two weeks. Why don't you go there? And maybe you can find somebody to, you know, help you or to spark something. And I thought, you know what? I love Vegas. And at the very least, if this is a bust, I'd have a really good time. And so I reached out to my now co-founder and I said, let's go to Vegas next week. And we looked to buy tickets. And it, I think it was like, I, I don't know, like two or three or $5,000 a ticket. And we're like, let's a crazy big investment to make if we're not going to learn anything. So then we read, if you're, if you're an established company or a vendor, you get in for free. And so I feel terrible saying this, but we made fake business cards 
and we printed them out at Kinko's and we, you know, we enrolled as a professional business and we got in. And the next step was we went into a meeting, a conference, one of the conference rooms that was like, you know, starting, starting a shoe company, start how to make shoes. And so like, this is perfect, Marissa. We're going to sit in the front row, you know, pen and paper, and we're going to take all the notes on how to make shoes. And like, they were starting from a baseline that was so above where we were that like the first question I wrote in my notebook is what is a tech pack? They were talking about like in your tech pack, you need X, Y, Z, whatever. And I didn't even know what they were talking about a tech pack. What turns out it's a technical package of like all the different specifications you need in the shoe and the materials. And I was like, well, this is just terrible. If we, if we don't understand, you know, how to make shoes 101, like we should probably not be doing this, but we were not going to give up. Um, and so we came home and we were like, well, that didn't really work out, but we did have a good time. And, you know, from then we, we just, we just continued to have this conversation. We were telling, talking to everybody. And one of Marissa's neighbors had just moved to Sacramento from LA, just having retired after 30 years in the footwear business. And he heard about this and he's like, I can help. And so we were like, great. And he said, well, where's your tech pack? We don't have one. You know, what kind of shoes do you want to make? We don't know. And so he sort of like helped us figure out, you know, the first few steps. And he ultimately helped us prototype the shoe. We worked with his manufacturing partners overseas. Um, and he helped us manufacture and design our first set of birdies that we developed with him starting in uh, middle of 2015. And we received them at the end of 2015. Marissa and I each put in $50,000, um, which, you know, was a lot of money for us then. And, and right. obviously still to this day. And that money I had been saving to renovate our, our small kitchen in San Francisco. And I just thought if this doesn't work, you know, I don't get the kitchen I want, but I, I you know, I, I'll start saving up again. But if it does work, I can buy myself, you know, a dream kitchen. So invested that money and that money just bought us the amount of shoes that we needed to buy through this partner. And it was 1800 pairs of shoes. And one day the shoes arrived at Marissa's house. She called me and she's like, you're not going to believe this, but there's a huge truck in front of my house. What address did you give this shoe company? And I said, well, we don't have an office. I don't know. I just wrote down your address and, and they just showed up. So she had her neighbor's help. They put all the 1800 units in her house and she's like, well, now what? And this really reminded me of back in the day when I was waiting tables and I had the, the topical, you know, acne cleanser. And I was like, well, Today, we have social media that didn't exist back then. So both of us posted on our personal Facebook pages. We each had about 1,800 friends. And I said, if this goes great, all, all of our friends will buy a pair and we'll be out of this business because this is crazy. I cannot believe we got us into this. And we posted in early November of 2015. And what we hadn't realized, it was right around Thanksgiving time. And I think it was that moment where people are actually thinking like, what will I be wearing on my feet? I'm going to a friend's house or a family's house. We're eating. I'm dressing in my jeans and a cute sweater. I should have a pair of, you know, stylish loafers. And so they started to sell pretty quickly and friends of friends had friends who were editors and they wanted to write about us. And they were friends with celebrity stylists who asked to, you know, to have a few pairs for their celebrities. And so like, we couldn't believe it, but it just started to, the business started to, to work. And in the middle of 2016, we had run out of product and we thought, well, we've recouped our money maybe we should try, you know, to rebuy again, but improve all of the things that we had done, not done right. But our, the guy that had initially helped us basically was like, you guys still don't know what you're doing. You're not moving fast enough. And I'm, I've been retired. I don't want to like, I, I came out of retirement to help you guys. He, he was not very nice. You know, he kept calling us, you know, you girls, and you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, just so it was not a good match. And so we thought, oh my gosh, like he just fired us. <laughs> like now what do we do? 
And a few days later, we got an email from the team that was helping J crew manufacture their shoes. And they said, we've, we've read about your story on these social slippers. Like we think this is fascinating. Would you be willing to work with us? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. Like the, the luck, of course we said, yes, they helped us improve our product. We were able to buy a lot more. And at the end of 2016, I took a sabbatical from Facebook for two months um, to, to just dive into this business hundred wow. percent to see if this would really move the more I dedicated to it. And by the time I got back to my desk in early 2017, I thought, wow, that was fun. Our sales are phenomenal. Megan Markle was wearing us. She was, she was writing about us on Instagram, which created the, you know, the Markle sparkle, even from the very beginning. And I thought, I think this could be a big business, but you know, but Facebook pays my bills and what do I do? And right around the same time, I got an email from Andy Dunn, who's the co-founder and former CEO of Bonobos, the menswear company. Mm-hmm. And he wrote $100,000 in the subject line of the email. And he said, I've been reading about birdies all over Manhattan. I think this is going to be huge. I would love to invest hundred thousand dollars in your business and help you raise a seed round. And I, I, I called Marissa and I said, you know, can you believe this? An industry insider thinks this is going to be big and we have real sales and we have Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, writing about us. And like, like at what point do you decide now's the time to leave your job, your day job? And I thought we've been doing this for a year and a half. Like, I think this is the right time. And so I talked to my husband who could not have been more supportive. And then I went in to talk to Cheryl Sandberg, who, um, you know, just, I, I just always really value what she does and says, and I, and I talked to her and I said, you know, I think I'm thinking about leaving Facebook. And she said, I think this is going to be huge. And for what it's worth, I don't think you'll ever come back, but if you do, you always have a job here. So it was like that safety net that I needed to realize I could always go back to my, to my dream job at Facebook if this didn't work out. And I left in the middle of 2017 and Andy Dunn really was um, incredibly supportive. He helped us raise $2 million. Uh, that year. And, um, from there we've just continued to accelerate growth and and continue to grow. What was the first moment where you thought, um, like the, what, what was the one thing that happened that where you were like, you know, I think we've really got something. Was there one thing that happened? I, you just mentioned a bunch, but was there one where you like knew this is going to work? Uh, I mean, I think you're, you're always a little bit nervous of even when things are going great, that it's only going to last today or this month or this year. But I think for us, there were a lot, I mean, I no, I don't think that there's like that one moment. I think that there's just a series of a lot of momentum that you're just like, wow, this, this isn't normal. I mean, we had the executives from Nordstrom flying down from Seattle to meet with us, to pitch us on selling shoes at, at Nordstrom. So oh. you know, it's, it's a variety of things where you're just like, I don't think this is normal. Um, or this normally happens to, to, to brands. And like I said, like Megan Markle, she just kept wearing us and I always say I have two hats. I have the founder hat and the CEO hat. Like the CEO hat of me is like, gosh, Megan, like, please tag us when you're wearing us so that we can let others know about our brand. But then the founder hat was when paparazzi would take pictures of her and she wasn't trying to, you know, be kind or pay it forward and, and tag us. Like she legitimately was wearing our shoes because she legitimately liked them and she was not wearing them. And so, you know, I, there's just so many little moments that I think it's hard to attribute that one. I, I think I, I honestly think like if it were one big thing, I don't think that that's sustainable to really, to really say this is where, you know, we're going to have success forever. It's just a series of little, little steps and missteps along the way. Fantastic. Well, I think you've answered most of my questions and I know we have what we call kind of our, our rapid fire questions at the end. Um, first of all, thank you so much for telling your story. Um, thank you for having me. It's just yeah. so fun to go back down memory lane. It feels like a million years ago now. 
So great. Now I love to hear about how you got to this point, you know, and obviously so excited to see where you take the brand. Um, but I'm going to let Chelsea take over from here. And again, these are um, just a series of questions, you know, just kind of first thing that comes to your mind um, in a sentence or less. And um, yeah. Awesome. I feel like this is, this is nervous for me too. It's my first time doing this. Bianca, so You got this. He's like, I don't know. It's my first time. I'm just, this has been such a riveting conversation. It's amazing too, to see that like, clearly it's the product itself was what did all the heavy lifting. Cause so much of that sounded like organic growth. Like the shoes spoke for themselves. I mean, word of mouth is how you got to be so successful. I mean, or word of foot, I guess, but I mean, I, I want to just like start off with like, just like a couple of like really, you know, off the cuff, like, what would you say like is your biz- biggest personal strength? I know what I think it is <laughs> confidence, but I, it's not that I was born with it. I think I've just, I I'm, I'm obsessed with the community around me and they give me the strength and the confidence to be, to be strong and persevere. And if everything fails, I have an amazing network of phenomenal friends and family that I can lean on. So there really is no failure when you have great people around you. That's incredible. Yes. Confidence is certainly what I was going to say too. I was like, man, this girl just knows exactly what she needs to do. You're, you're very impressive. I mean, on the flip then, like, what do you think is your biggest blind spot? Like if you had to call out anything that you don't necessarily feel like you're strong in, I say blind spot, not weakness. Cause to me, that yeah. just means there's room for growth. I have so many. I mean, I have to say like so much of success for anybody, I think is just a series of a lot of failures you know, truly. And so but I'm not, but I'm not afraid of failure. So there's that. But I think for me, like I'm, I'm just, I'm really optimistic. And I think at times that can, that can be, that can get in the way of reality, mm-hmm. you know? And I, but I think you need that crazy optimism to do, to, to be a disruptor, but that's where I'm so grateful that I have my co-founder who lives more on, on earth <laughs> and is much more leveled that can keep me grounded at times where I'm a little bit overconfident. Always good to have that balance then for okay. sure. Um, okay. All right. Super rapid fire. What shoes are you wearing right now? Oh, well, I'm wearing my, my slippers, my Phoebe slippers. These are like my go-to around the house. Awesome. I love them. What are your favorite birdies for a night out? Uh, you know what? Like recently I've, I've been loving my, my road runners. Um, they're just like really cool. And I wear them with like a dress and they're just kind of fun and, you know, unique. I bought, I bought them. Yeah. They're just so great. And they have a, they have a wedge inside. So you get that elevation that you're looking for in a heel, but in like a cool sneaker. Awesome. All right. Best birdies for an interview going for the big job. What do you recommend they wear? Um, it totally depends on your, you know, your level of what, what do you want to leave them with? Um, you know, I think like the black starling and velvet is like a great safe loafer, like but I, you know, I would go crazy and like anything would be great depending on the person and, and the job. Amazing. Whatever makes you feel the most confident. That is a great answer. I'm going to go with that one. That's All right. Sorry. That was a bit leading, <laughs> but I love it. Whatever you feel good in. Yes. Um, all right. Who is your biggest idol or mentor? Oh, I have to say my mom, hands down. Moms are the best. Moms are the best. All right. Weird one. Grocery store wine or grocery store sushi? Oh my God. Definitely grocery store wine. Great answer. 
All right. One more serious one. And then we could, we could call it. What advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. Don't be so impatient that it will all work out. Love it. I'm going to throw one in. Do it. What does success ultimately mean to you, Bianca? Oh, I get asked this all the time. I mean, I just, I light up when I think about it. Success is having the opportunity to go after your dreams. You know, like every day, if you have the ability to do what you want to do in the way that you want to do it, like that is success. On my tombstone, I want it to be, she was the most successful person, not because of what she built or did, but because she just had these wings and she just flew every day as if it were her last. And that is what I want for every young woman to be able to make her own decisions, the decisions that are right for her and not have to follow anybody else's decisions for her. Follow your own dreams. And, you know, lastly, uh, Chelsea and I, a few weeks ago, were um, at the Angel City um, football yes. game um, for, I think it was their final game. And we saw birdies everywhere. It was yes. so, so exciting oh, to see your brand there. I know. So great. What to walk great around there and to see tens of thousands of people, you know, wearing the jersey with the birdies logo on it, seeing it in the stadium. I mean, in like, in what world would I have ever thought that a company I, you know, helped build with my co-founder would be in a stadium and on jerseys of men and women and kids. Like, it's just, it's unreal. And um, I just, I, if anything, I just, I hope that I'm an example for other people to just dream big and then dream even bigger. And then that, that will be your true North star. All right. Well, I think that wraps this up, Bianca, you are such, such an incredible inspiration. You know, I interview a lot of women on she dynasty. I always tip my heart is always with the entrepreneurs just cause I'm one myself and your story just resonates so, so, so much with me. Thank you for spending the time today. So, so excited. Oh, you guys rock. It's always the best part of my day when I get to have a conversation with amazing women like you guys. So thank you. Awesome. And thank so you. So awesome talking. Thank you, Chelsea, for co-hosting. Thank today. you, Chelsea. You're a great co-host. Oh, thanks. You know, I try. <laughs> it's your first time. So super great. I job. think you're natural. Although cool. every natural has like worked really, really hard to get to making it look easy. So-